0: The zoo was perhaps the biggest thing that really
1: helped me. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission Of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast that is getting back to its roots, and by that I mean talking about red pandas, the Raw Safari podcast. That's right, y'all. We are in the middle of season two of the podcast. And as you probably know, season two so far has been entirely from my time spent gigging down in Florida. And it has been amazing. And there is a lot more to come. But I am not a total fool. And I know that there are a lot of you who really are only here for the red panda content. I mean, the fact that they get on average five times the amount of likes as any other animals that I post on my Instagram was one hint. Another hint is that I've had multiple fans of the podcast reach out to tell me that they only listen to the red panda episodes. And if I don't say that there's a red panda in the episode, they skip it. Um, I appreciate your honesty question mark. I got to tell you guys, there are a lot of other really cool animals out there, and that's coming from a huge Fanda. But hey, we here at Safari we aim to please. So when I came up with this whole idea of starting season two and doing so by doing a whole bunch of episodes down in Florida, I thought to myself, well, I should probably set aside An episode that I recorded back when I was doing season one that talks about red pandas that I can drop in here so that uh, there isn't a total riot and mobbing of me. So I did that. And that's not the only reason that this episode is special. It's also special because this episode is coming to you from a high school. Yep, that's right, y'all. There is a high school with red pandas. But don't worry, I'm not talking about a high school that randomly has an endangered animal hidden away somewhere. I am talking about the only AZA-accredited zoo at a high school where most of the keepers are actually high school students. That's right, y'all. Last week, we talked about the only college in the country that has an AZA-accredited zoo as part of its curriculum. And now we are dropping it down a level and going to the only high school that has its own AZA-accredited zoo. I'm talking about the Trevor Zoo, which is located at Millbrook School, a co-ed college prep boarding school for students in grades 9 through 12. And y'all, this was a journey. I had such an amazing day at the Trevor Zoo which you will not be hearing about today. See, here's the thing. I went to the Trevor Zoo in the hopes of talking to a couple of different people and getting a vibe for what it's like there and maybe meeting their red pandas. Spoiler alert, I totally met their red pandas, and you will hear more about that. But again, not in this episode, although you will hear a lot about the pandas in this episode. When Dan Cohen, the director of media for the Trevor Zoo, responded to my interview request, he hooked me up. I spent a full day at the zoo walking around, seeing the exhibits, talking to Dan, talking to some of the students, seeing how the students get to work with the animals, meeting the red pandas. I I know I already mentioned that, but like it was a good time. Hanging out with uh, Tiffany Hatfield, one of the people who used to go to school there and is now working there. And uh, also talking to the director of the zoo. And you're not going to hear any of that in this episode either. I like teasing. But the truth is, I got too much material for this episode. Uh, Both of my interviews that happened on site were, were long and good and a lot of really cool content. And then as I was leaving the zoo, Dan mentioned to me that I should speak to Charlotte Meggs, who is a former student who is now in college, but still heavily invested in the Trevor zoo. And when we connected on zoom, it was a really awesome conversation. My initial thought with this episode was that I was going to cut down some of what Charlotte said, some of what Tiffany said, some of my interview with the director of the zoo, and kind of mash it all together into some form of narrative and, and tell you about the zoo. But there's just too much good stuff for me to not want to share it all with you. So here is how this is going to work. Today, you are going to be hearing my interview with Charlotte Meggs. It is, you know... Edited as they all are, but not heavily. We spoke for right around an hour, and um, I'm really excited to share everything that she had to say with y'all. You're going to learn about how the Trevor Zoo works. You're going to learn about how it inspired her moving forward. We talk about some mental health stuff, which I think is really cool. And also, Charlotte is a really amazing artist. And that art is relevant to Trevor Zoo, so you're going to hear about that as well. And then later this week, I will bring you a bonus episode featuring the other two interviews, plus some of my own observations, things that Dan told me, and a little bit more about what the experience was like meeting the pandas. So yeah, you're going to get a lot of Trevor Zoo content this week, and I think you're going to love it. So real quick, a couple of reminders. Make sure you're following along at Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pod on TikTok. And, um, you know, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, hey, maybe do that. Maybe download all the episodes. Maybe be awesome and be my friend. That would be cool. Oh, and also, if you want to, you can listen to this ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end, ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, y'all, it's time. Get ready for an episode that is just chock full of pandas and also some other stuff as I speak to Charlotte Meggs, former Zooey at the Trevor Zoo at Millbrook School. So let's start off with uh, you telling me who you are and uh, why I'm talking to you today.
0: All right. Uh, My name is Charlotte Meggs, and I'm currently a college student at Scripps College, but I worked at the Trevor Zoo for four years while I went to Millbrook School. Um, And I also have continued working with them. I visit a bunch whenever I am home and in the area. Um, and I make art for their gift shop by carving emu eggs and painting Rhea eggs.
1: Yes, you do. And I have a really cool, uh, red panda Rhea egg that I got when I was there. Thank you for that. It is awesome. awesome. I love it. Um, so let's start off talking about that though. I want to, I want to get to the Trevor stuff, but, um, uh, tell me about how, first of all, how did you come up with the idea of carving eggshells? Cause that does not seem easy.
0: That one actually wasn't my idea. There was a senior, so at Millbrook everyone does a senior project, um, and there was someone before my time named Beryl who came up with that and started carving them, and so she made carved emu eggs and was painting a little bit on some gourds i believe um but wasn't really doing anything with the rhea eggs um and they've been they sort of look for people each sort of every generation of students um to continue doing the carving of the emu eggs Um, And I happened to be there and one of my friends who is a senior did a little bit of it and she taught me how Um, and it sort of became a project that I took over and have been have done probably more of than most people since Beryl. Um, And it's a really cool project. It's different from any other art form. I've done and you sort of have to learn the different ins and outs of how deep to carve and how sort of using the negative space in the with the egg works because the eggs are this dark green blue color and then when you carve them down they're a sort of white color Um, and so you have to really work on where you're putting texture and different things and you have to keep in mind that just doing lines of different weights doesn't always show up the way you intend.
1: That's really cool. And then they sell those in the gift shop as like a fundraiser. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So everything in the zoo, in the zoo gift shop is different sort of fundraisers and stuff. um, Mostly for the zoo, but there's also some different pieces go directly to different charities um, like the Red Panda Project, um, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that so much. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, um, then, how would you come up with also painting on Rhea eggs?
0: So the Rhea eggs are interesting because they're sort of a white cream color. Um, so they don't work very well for carving into. I tried a little bit when I first started and tried, you know, cutting into them and seeing whether that, could maybe work and it didn't. (laughs) Um, Long story short, it just did not. Um, And I but we have sort of these boxes of eggs because every year we collect the eggs because they lay varying numbers. I believe it's at least like 30 eggs. And so there were these huge boxes full of Rhea eggs just sort of sitting um, in the zoo classroom. Um, And I actually sort of started out painting in terms of doing art. Painting was really my main thing for a long time. Um, And now I do more ceramics, um, but I still love to paint. And so I just sort of wanted to figure out whether this was something I could use. Um, And the first Rhea egg took me so long because I was trying to figure out how to do it on this weird, smooth surface. Um, And also I'm a perfectionist. And so I kept starting over. Um, But I do have some fun photos of, you know, I was working on it while sort of keeping an eye on Cyril, who was this really elderly red panda that we had for a while um, and so sometimes we'd put him out on the lawn in this little pen. And so someone would need to keep an eye on him to make sure no one tried to climb into the pen. Um, so I just had to sit there and paint and watch our red panda
1: it's a tough life. Yeah. Red pandas are my favorite animal. Um, and when I was at the zoo, I got to meet the two that are there now. And it was, it was,
0: quite I love lovely. them They're Yeah. yeah they're probably my favorites as well.
1: Nice. I actually had a couple fans send me screenshots because they saw me on the panda cam that they have set up. They were watching it. They didn't know I was there anything. They were watching it. And all of a sudden there's their, there's their friendly podcast host hanging out with them. That's
0: so pandas.
1: funny. I love it. That's really cool. So, um, how many eggs, uh, break when you're doing something like this? Can you, have you gotten it down pretty um, well? Or?
0: I've gotten it down pretty well. So usually they don't break. The Rhea eggs almost never break um, because I'm not carving into them. Um, the emu eggs occasionally will, you can like punch through them, but they're interesting because they don't shatter the way like chicken eggs or something would because they're just so thick um and so you can sort of actually punch through the shell um and then that's a problem if that's not what you're going for um but they don't shatter although I have had one that I worked on for a couple hours and then it rolled off the table and shattered. And I was very <laughs> oh no. upset.
1: I was actually going to ask about that. I was literally making breakfast today and I was making eggs, not not Rhea or ostrich. Um, but And one rolled right off the, the counter and broke on the floor. And I was like, ooh, I should ask about that in my interview today.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was one I was making specifically. We had a really cool visit from Dan Ash and a couple of other people. Dan Ash is the head of the AZA. Yep. Um, and I was making an egg, an emu egg for him um, and I finished it and put it down on the table and it rolled off and broke. Oh no! But I made another one and he got his emu egg and he emailed me to say it's been sitting on his desk.
1: That's amazing. So that awesome.
0: That's my like really cool thing is I have a emu egg sitting on Dan Ash's desk.
1: Yeah, that's, that's not exactly the the kind of uh, exposure that a lot of high school kids get either.
0: Yeah, uh, so that, definitely. That's pretty
1: cool. Pretty cool. So, all right. So tell me about your time at, at Millbrook. First of all, was Trevor Zoo part of why you decided to go to Millbrook or was this something that became a passion once you got there?
0: It was the reason. Yeah. Um, It was the reason I noticed Millbrook at all, the reason I chose Millbrook. Um, It was sort of interesting because I was looking at different high schools. Um, My parents didn't really want me going to a boarding school, um, but they were sort of like, "Mm, if it's the perfect place, okay, I guess. Um, I was like, this place has a zoo, and they were like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's got to have more than a zoo.
1: Fair. Um, That's fair.
0: So, took a, took a little bit of convincing at first. Um but yeah, it was sort of the reason I chose Millbrook and you know, my freshman year I had a sort of hard time adjusting to being away from home and you know, it was a very different environment from anything I'd ever been in, um, and I sort—I of, actually considered switching schools, but I stayed at Millbrook because of the zoo. I was like, I—I'm never going to be able to do this. The biggest thing that like made me super happy at Millbrook when I started there was—I even before I got. There's sort of a rotation of community services, and so I wasn't in the zoo at first. Um, but even before that, I would make myself a little sandwich for lunch and walk down to the zoo and just walk around um, and eat my lunch while walking around the zoo. Um, and then when I got into the zoo community service, I took care of the otters, um, and which can be a little bit of a gross job at sometimes because they eat this weird meat mixture and raw fish as treats. And, um,
1: but I've, I've fed some otters and it's always a unique experience. They're, uh, they're a stinky, but wonderful group of animals. And they have
0: so much personality. Um, Wally was one of the otters for a long time and he was just the sweetest Um, And I got to help introduce him to Cassie, who is currently our female otter, um, which was a very noisy process. They make this really funny squeaking noise and she would just like scream at him and he just wanted to be friends and she was not sure about it. But then they were best of friends.
1: That's awesome. And the otter exhibit at Millbrook is crazy. It's Um, so cool. Go ahead and explain what makes it unique, probably amongst any zoos.
0: Yeah, our otter exhibit is probably one of my favorites exhibit-wise because it's actually their native habitat and it's a part of an actual stream. So we have a big zoo pond, which is where a lot of our birds, aquatic birds are. Um, And then it waterfalls over into this pool and then continues on as a stream. Um, But there's a little pool that's been made as a deepened section of the stream for our otters. And so they get this actual stream as a part of their habitat. And they have this big hill um, that in the winter they make wonderful little slides down in the snow. Um, But it's super cool because they have this actual part of what would be their native habitat Um, and sometimes they'll catch fish and stuff in it, which I always think is really cool. Um, but they love it and have a great time with it.
1: Yeah. It's really cool to see. It's, it's something that's, it's really special there. Definitely. Um, very cool. So, okay. So your, your freshman year you become a zoo nerd right away. You're going down and you're, you're hanging out at the zoo. And then was it your, uh, your, that first year that you got to start working there as well, or did that come
0: later? Okay. Yeah. It was my, the spring of my freshman year. Okay. So
1: So, take me back there. Spring of your freshman year. You're, you're super nerdy. I'm sure because you were a kid that went to school for a zoo. Love that. Right. And like, you know, there's this zoo and you've been going there and you've been walking around and now you get to work there. So tell me what that was like.
0: I was super excited. Um, The otters were one of the animals. I mean, they sort of told me that since I really love the zoo, the otters are one of the animals that they give to kids who are going to pay more attention and be a little extra cautious. And I also was in the zoo squad after school sport alternative Um, and which is one that exists every, all year. Um, but it's basically just extra work at the zoo. Um, which is an
1: athletic activity. I mean, I have put in some time at zoos and, and I'm always hurting afterwards. You need a nap.
0: Um, and so I was sort of going from not getting to spend very much time at the zoo, which I'd been sort of bummed about at first. Um, to being there constantly. Um, And I was assigned with one other person. So you usually got assigned with sort of another person or two on some of the different animals. Um, And she and I were doing, taking care of the otters and they have this big box that We call the Otter Box, um, which is kind of funny um, because that's a phone case. (laughs) I don't think it was come up with as a pun. I think it was genuinely just the Otter Box. And then someone realized that it was a pun. Um, But it has this huge, heavy lid. And I was a tiny little freshman and I could not lift the lid on my own. Um, So it was good that I had a partner to do it. Except midway through the spring, she tore her ACL or something. Um, and I was sort of on my own for a couple weeks there. Oh, no. Um, so I was this tiny little kid, and I would have to just hope someone else was around in the kitchen or something so I could come in and be like, Hi, can you please help me lift the lid? I can't do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, when I first heard about this place, I thought it was a really cool idea, obviously, but then I was like, wait a minute, most keepers I know, even if they are tiny people, are like, strong. And you don't get a whole lot of 14 year olds that are super strong. And like, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. Uh, there must be a lot of thought that goes into that and like having to really work as a team, which, which is pretty awesome, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. And they've shifted the way they do zoo community service since I was there. Um, and I'm betting you may have heard more about that from them because I'm I, that's been since I was there. And so I'm a little behind on everything, but I think they now go around sort of more in teams and do sections rather than having individual students or pairs of students assigned to animals. Um, I I was
1: actually, I was there for it when they were doing it and it was like 10 people in each section. It was pretty big. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I mean I absolutely loved the way it was when I was there because it meant I got to really personally get to know the animals. Um, but I completely understand why they've changed it as well.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, um, okay, so we finished out the freshman year and you are the the otter box and um you are just uh super, you know, nerding out at the zoo whenever you can. And then um second year rolls around. Tell me, tell me, did you go right back to the zoo? Were you able to get like a quote promotion? You know, yeah. tell me about what you did.
0: So second year, you choose your community service. Um, and I obviously chose to go back to the zoo. Um, and as, uh, so as a sophomore, you're sort of expected that one of your seasons, you're going to work in making diets. Um, but I never did um because the zoo staff wanted to put me with different animals. Um and I was insanely excited my fall of sophomore year because I got assigned to the red pandas, who had been my favorite since I was looking at Millbrook. When I was actually when I was looking at Millbrook, they had baby red pandas, which were extremely exciting. Um and so I was taking care of Barry and Cyril, who actually, gosh, neither of those are going to be at the zoo anymore. Right, no, Barry's
1: moved on to Beardsley Zoo in Connecticut, yep. I believe. And Beardsley then zoo. Cyril has passed on because Cyril was yeah. super old and Cyril lived is a great life. Cyril
0: is amazing. He was one of my favorites for absolutely forever. I would come back and visit him every day. Time I was at home, and I would go in and see him, and bring him a few craisins. Um, and he actually is just over over a month older than me. Um, so we were—I could always pinpoint his age because I knew that he was just slightly older than me. Um
1: that's really adorable. I really like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, he actually is the sweetest.
1: That's so cool. That one of the things that um that I love cuz like I said red pandas are my jam. Um and Cyril is actually how I found uh the the Trevor Zoo. Um because it was when he passed unfortunately, but uh it got some press and it got mentioned yeah. enough times in like Facebook red panda groups and stuff that I was like I'm sorry, does that say that a high school lost a red panda and my first thought honestly was like I need to look into this this does not seem okay like just thinking like yeah you know some schools have random animals and I was like I'm very big and no panda pets and like you know yeah. I, I and I was like okay and I, I will say I went into it with kind of, okay are there a bunch of rich people that had a red panda I need to look at this Yeah, and then I, I poked my snoot in and found out it's an AZA accredited actual zoo and I was like well I need to have them on the podcast and I reached out that night so um, yeah even even though Cyril is not there, he and I didn't get to meet him, uh he, he definitely had an impact because that's why we're talking right now and that's why he's yeah. there and it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I I'm very lovely. sorry
0: you didn't get to meet him because he's the best and probably one of the most affectionate red pandas I've ever met or even heard of. Um he would do you know how dogs sometimes if you scratch their belly, they thump their leg? if you scratch the right spot on his neck, he would thump his leg like a dog. <laughs> oh, so cute.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Uh, he have you just met the sweetest. Have you met the two new ones?
0: Um, I have, but not super. Well, actually I met Zhu. Um, I've worked with him a fair amount um, and got to know him. I can tell you about it more later or now I did a really cool research project. Uh, we'll, my get senior yeah, year yeah, yeah. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, I was told I'm excited to talk to you about that one. So we will yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, but so that was a but Betsy wasn't there yet.
0: No, she okay. was this past year, I believe. And so last time I was at the zoo, I sort of went by and saw a glimpse of her, but didn't really meet her.
1: She's awesome. Um, She's been at Central Park for the last four years, and um, I go there a lot, and so I have known her, but I never got to meet her. I only saw her, and then uh, when I was at at Trevor, they were like, well, yeah, you you can go meet ours, and I was like, okay. So I finally, I'd wanted to meet Betsy for years. Um, her and you were the 31st and 32nd red pandas that I've like hung out with. (laughs) And, um, I like my podcast a lot. And I um, I
0: love that you have a number for, I have a list. I keep, I keep a list. I
1: mean, I know every name that I have met. (laughs) Um, and it was, um, it was really cool because I've been trying to meet her for, for a couple of years. And I was like, oh, little girl. And she's, she's a total Aww. queen, just like I knew she was. She's very aloof. She's very happy to take food, but like really only likes her bamboo. Isn't even that into other things. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, she was just, she was everything I thought she would be. She's, she's great. You'll, I'm sure you'll get to hang out with them. Yeah. But yeah. That's They're awesome. They're the best. So good. And we'll talk more about them in your project, but, um, okay. So sophomore year, you're working with red pandas. Tell me more.
0: Um, I was beyond excited. Um, I was working with actually a freshman who then also became a student curator himself when he was uh, when he was a junior, um, an old enough so junior is the bar to become a student curator, which I'll go into more later. Um, but. We came down every day and I got to know them really well. I remember having just sort of super excited when they got to know me well enough to be excited when I came in. Um, And Barry, who we had for a long time, was just the sweetest and had lots of personality and I remember in particular, we came in and sometimes the diets wouldn't be ready quite yet. And so we would go out and start cleaning and then go get the diets a few minutes in. Um, and we opened the door to start cleaning. And she came out and checked the spot that we usually put the bowls down. And then and there were no bowls. And so she just gave us this look of just absolute disgust. <laughs> of like, how, well, how dare you come here without my food? Um, they're, they're such fun. Um, and Cyril, of course, is just the sweetest. Um, and so we would to go get bamboo and then hand feed them the bamboo. Um, I mean, I spent definitely an obnoxious amount of time just hanging out with them. I would come down for the afternoon feed and just sort of walk around there and, try to hand feed them bamboo whenever they would let me and take pictures of them um, because I was just so excited.
1: So let me ask you something. Um, let's go a little personal for a second here. Okay. High school's mm-hmm. tough, like, especially like freshman, junior, or I mean, freshman, sophomore year, figuring stuff out, figuring out who you are, all that kind of thing. What impact do you think having the zoo and particularly red freaking pandas in your daily life as a a high schooler and as, as a sophomore, wh- what did that do for you?
0: It was, and I actually wrote my college essay on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was the thing that I think, I mean, saved me as dramatic, but saved me. Um my freshman year I actually had really bad issues with mental health um and some really bad anxiety and depression um and the zoo was perhaps the biggest thing that really helped me because I just threw myself into it um and you know cleaning like the otter box and different stuff is kind of gross um but it was just something that I could occupy all of myself with that in a time that I was really struggling mentally. Um, And that was, I mean, the reason my parents sort of let me stay at Millbrook because they were sort of like, you're really struggling mentally. I don't know that this is a good idea to, you know, stay at a boarding school far away and stuff. Um, I was like, The zoo is really good for me. Um, And that sort of continued sophomore year, things started to improve somewhat. And I started to find really good friends who were also way into the zoo. Um, And that was, it just sort of continued to be something that I spent every spare moment doing and throwing all of myself into
1: that's awesome. I really love that. Thank you for being honest about that. I, I always of course. You know I think it's so important to get mental health stuff out there. It um,
0: definitely is. It and is. it's such a big topic that so many people struggle with and it's so important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean when um, when the pandemic hit. I lost everything. Like I'm a touring musician and there was no yeah. touring. And, um, I remember like sitting at home the first couple nights as like literally a year's worth of work disappeared and like all that stuff. And I, I spiraled hard. I, I ate way too much food, gained a bunch of weight, didn't take care of myself, had days where I didn't shower and just sat on the couch all day. And that's not how I roll normally. Yeah. Um, and I was really struggling and it was, it was starting this podcast and especially once things opened up just a little bit and I started to go get more zoo time and everything, um, and meeting some animals and stuff that really pulled me out of that funk. And I remember early on, I was so desperate for animal time. Um, I would drive to either Elmwood park zoo, which is kind of near where I live and has, um, a draft exhibit that you can see from the parking lot (laughs) or to Brandywine zoo, which is in Delaware, which is again, kind of close to where I live. And I live right outside of Philadelphia. Um, and I would drive to Brandywine, where you could park at the park and walk up to the fence of the zoo. And if you really looked through really hard, you could see the red panda exhibit. And <laughs> it was through three fences, but it still brought me so much joy at a time when I was so down yeah. that it was like, well, I need to do this because I am in a really bad place. Um, yeah. So yeah, animals are kind of magical that way. I can't, I cannot the imagine best. high school with animals. That's the coolest yeah. thing. It was ever.
0: definitely the thing that like made my high school experience, you know, doable and really wonderful in some ways.
1: That's awesome. And so then, okay, so sophomore year working with red pandas. Junior year, you become a curator, right?
0: Yes. What does that Um, mean? So I had at this point worked with a bunch of different animals. Um, You know, after I worked with the red pandas, I also worked in the Australia barn so that's our wallabies and emus and then I worked with our ring-tailed lemurs um and as a curator you're sort of a student leader in the zoo and your job well at the time I'll speak to at the time now now the job's sort of slightly different because they've shifted the way the community service works um But at the time, it was you would get a section of the zoo, and your job is to basically oversee the students in the section and making sure they're all doing their jobs properly, Um, the animals are getting taken care of. And so during community service, you sort of make sure everyone's here, and then Go around and check in on people, see if they need help with anything, maybe bring diets over, um, just sort of make sure that everything's being done properly Um, so you know how to take care of every animal in your section. Um, And then at night, because the way community service worked then was that students would find some time to come down in the afternoon um and feed and clean their animals enclosure um at night and so you would come down check there's sort there sort of were these little cards that you check in that everything's been done and so students would write down the time that they came down um, and you check that everyone's come down in your section more often than not um a student or two wouldn't have um which can be various reasons um I mean I would love to say that it was always for good reasons of just like having a conflict with a sports game or something um but you know the biggest thing that I struggled with at the zoo was that there are students who don't want to do it. Um, And so sometimes students wouldn't come down. Um, Yeah.
1: Doesn't it suck when you have a passion that people don't share or care about? Oh
0: my gosh. It was wild because I was like so excited about the zoo. Um, And we would get kids who, I mean, did not come to Millbrook for the zoo um, did not care about the zoo. Um, and you know, your freshman year, you do this rotation. And so you have to be in the zoo for a few months. Um, and some kids don't expect to love it and learn to love it, which is sort of why they do that. Um, but some kids do not want to do it. And then other kids also will come in their sophomore year, um, start at Millbrook then. Um, I've had kids whose parents filled out the community service sign up form and were like, a zoo sounds like it would be great for them. And then the kid gets there and it's just a nightmare. Um, I, and just one kid in particular who I always think of with that, um, who I wasn't even a curator at that point, but I was trying, I was helping my friends, the curators um, as a sophomore and he did not want to clean the turtle pool, um, which is not a hard job. Um, and he literally said to me, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that that was probably the most ridiculous thing I've heard from any students there. And what made it even better was then like a month or two later, I saw a woman visiting during a parent's weekend or something like that. And she was walking around the zoo and looking at things. And so I said hi to her and she was like, Oh, I, my son's in the zoo. It's such a cool place. I was like, Oh, who's your son? And she named this kid. I was (laughs) like, Oh, interesting.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. So. And also for my listening audience, I just have to tell you when she started talking about the people who weren't into the zoo, Charlotte's face literally changed. She just looked mean and nasty. Honestly, she, she's been smiling and giggling this entire time. And like all of that, went away. The eyebrows pointed down, the smile became a frown. She is not happy about these people.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Well, it was just, I mean, you'd deal with them. And that was by far the most difficult part of my job. The animals are angels. They're great. Um, the kids are the difficult part.
1: <laughs> Trust me, that doesn't stop when it's a high school zoo. I talk to a lot of keepers and it's always the people that are the problem.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's hilarious. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, talk about good whatever anyone wants to do in life. Whether, yeah. you know, a student is inspired to go on into the zoo field or into other conservation work or anything like that, or go get a day job at an office. You're going to work with poopy people. That's just how it yeah. is. I'm a touring musician, and I have toured with people that I want to leave at a stop and hop on the bus and just not take them with us. Um, actually I fired someone once and we did that. Uh, (laughs) I mean, we got them a ride home. Don't get me wrong there, you know, but, but I, yeah, it's uh, it can be a nightmare, whatever you do. So like learning how to deal with that is actually really cool.
0: Yeah, no, it was definitely very good experience for dealing with that. And also with, you know, getting people to do things that they don't want to do and, you know, convincing them that, Hey, I get that you don't want to pick up poop, but it's important. Um, and that was a weird experience for me because I came into it very much like who wouldn't want to like pick up red panda poop. Um, but there are people who really don't want to.
1: Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of weird, but yeah. Um, awesome. And so then curator your your junior year. And then senior year, uh, were you still a curator or something? And then I also know you did your CES and you can, we can, we can talk about that. So tell me things.
0: So senior year was all zoo. Um, I skipped math every
1: day, but boy, did I learn about (laughs) pandas?
0: (laughs) I had, um, I was a head curator, um, which basically means you get a section of curators, um, that you're sort of overseeing um, and helping them out with everything. And so if a you know curator has, you know, this whole area didn't come down and you go run and help do that. Um, and so as a curator, you typically, you already learn how to take care of every single animal in the zoo um, as just a part of the job, a part of the training is you learn to take care of all of them. Um, but as a head curator you especially need to have that Um, and it's a really cool job because you're constantly running around doing everything it's also really hectic Um, our year and I they don't do this anymore but we were also helping lock up the zoo at night um and so we had a clipboard of a checklist of different things that all needed to be happen um before the zoo closed at night and um we would go around and you know make sure the cranes are inside and make sure everything's happened and then also lock up the buildings um which is you know what what kind of 17 year old gets that responsibility. Um, and I mean, there were, were always zoo staff around, but not always, um, right there. And so we were having to, you know, make sure that everything was safe and done properly. Um, and so it was a big responsibility and a really cool job, um, Definitely could be stressful at times, though, because you were sort of trying to make sure everything was absolutely everything was done properly, and we'd always do this before, you know, typically before we got to go to dinner ourselves or anything like that. Um, is usually how it worked.
1: Yeah, awesome. And so then, um, being a senior curator sounds like the best thing ever, and yeah. uh, and then you also did a CES.
0: Yes. So I did. I actually had two different projects, um, my senior year running with the zoo. Um, so my CES was actually doing art with the zoo. Um, and I had an independent study at this point in ceramics, um, because I'd taken all the ceramics classes Millbrook had to offer. Um, and so I got to basically design my own class, which was the best. I love my ceramics teacher. Um and I chose sort of a I got to design my own year-long project to do. Um, every year there's one student who has an independent study in ceramics. Um, and nice. I wanted mine to be, you know, all zoo. Um, and so I went with a few different things. Um, but I did both working on raku firings and these mold making. And so, and this ended up being my senior project as well. Um, and so raku firing is, you know, I'm, I doubt there's very much overlap in listeners between zoo people and ceramics people. but who knows? Maybe some of you are um raccoon firing is basically you heat the pieces up to full temperature and then take them out of the kiln which is not the way it normally works normally you let them cool gradually um and if they're glazed you put them in this big in a bin of flammable material and close the lid so that they don't get any oxygen um but there's another Raku technique that is putting hair or feathers or different things directly on an unglazed surface and it burns into the clay. Um,
1: that's and cool.
0: That's what I wanted to do because I thought that sounded super cool. And I wanted to do it with hair and feathers from the zoo.
1: Of course, um, you did.
0: Naturally. Um, and so I went around and collected different fur and stuff that had fallen when different animals were shedding. Um, I had it all sort of set up and labeled. I had red panda fur, lemur fur, wolf fur, um, emu feathers, rhea feathers, owl feathers, the whole thing. Um, I actually think my favorite turnout was probably the emu feathers. Um, and I burned those onto the pieces, um, and those, there are no longer any of them actually available in the gift shop. They all sold out gradually. Um, but that was one element of my project As I made a whole bunch of those, um, so and they cool. went into the gift shop, um, And then the other aspect of my project, which is still ongoing to some extent, um, which is great, um, is I wanted to make something that could sort of keep being made after I graduated. And my ceramics teacher actually sort of specializes in slip casting, which is where you make a plaster mold and you pour in slip, which is liquid clay, Um, let it sit and then pour out the excess slip and it sort of dries in the in the mold um, and you get this cast of whatever you've made the mold of and so I made some mugs and made molds of them and then I also made little sculptures of a red panda and a fox um, and made little molds of those and made these mugs that you sort of assemble by casting the two parts and then you glue down the animal down in the bottom of the mug. And so as you're drinking your coffee or whatever, um, you slowly see the the animal that's sitting in the bottom.
1: Oh, that's so cool. I That would make me drink my coffee even faster, which I didn't know was possible, but it would. It would make it happen.
0: They're, they're really fun. Um, I w- yeah, I was really pleased with those. Um, and I'm not sure if there are any left actually right now. Um, I'll have to see I did not about see any when I
1: was there because I would have definitely seen that and I would have definitely gotten one of those.
0: Yeah, especially the Red Panda ones. Those are yeah. kind of my favorites. Um, they're so much fun. Um, but that was, you know, my senior project, I sort of made a whole cast, a whole ton of those and also made instructions so that that could continue on if people have time to cast them. Um, and so that was really exciting, uh, to, to do and they sold insanely well. I mean, my first batch that I made and had for my project The Red Panda ones sold out within the first 48 hours. Wow. Um, A lot of those were other students and faculty members who'd seen me making them and wanted one. Um, And the Fox ones, which were the other ones that I made, were gone within the week. Um, So I actually came back that summer and cast a whole ton more. Um, But even those, I think, are gone now. So... Who knows? Maybe, maybe this summer I have to go back and cast more and make more.
1: I want one. So please make that happen for me.
0: I'll, I'll definitely let you know if I end up going back and making more.
1: Good, good. Yeah. I, you, you, yeah. you, you need to do that for me. I'm just, I'm pushing right now. Go, go do that. Not like right now, but you know what I mean? Soon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm still figuring out what to do with my summer. So I I'll talk to someone and maybe I'll do that.
1: Very cool. And so, all right. So then you graduate from the school. And well, oh, oh my oh. other
0: project. Oh, right, right, right.
1: The other, pro- I'm sorry. I'm so amazed by all of what you just said that I forgot there was the whole <laughs> other thing. Yes, yes, yes. Tell oh, yeah.
0: I, I was doing a lot my senior year um, because uh, on top of taking all my classes. So, Millbrook has this really cool class called Independent Science Research. Um, and you basically design your own scientific project, um, and do it. Um, and I wanted to do this class for a long time and I knew I wanted to do something with the zoo. Um, and the red pandas had always been sort of my favorites. Um, and I ended up designing this project where I looked at We had two different females at this point, Barry and Faith, Um, neither of whom are currently at the zoo. Faith actually passed away, unfortunately, Um, but they were super interesting. Faith actually was born at the Trevor Zoo, so she was especially exciting. Um, She was Cyril's daughter um, and was one of those baby pandas that was there when I was visiting Millbrook. and Faith had had babies normally before at a different zoo. Um, and Barry had sort of mated normally, but never had babies. And we hoped she would and hoped she would, but she never did. Um, and I wanted to look into sort of why that might be. Um, and so I did two different project, two sort of sub projects within that. Um, one of which was looking back through both of their genetic history, seeing how inbred they were, um, because you zoo people probably know a fair amount. But one of the things I always tell people about is, you know, most animals in zoos are no longer being Taken from the wild. Um, and yeah,
1: I've actually so. had Sarah Glass, the uh, coordinator of the Red oh, SSP. Love her. I, I know she she actually, she's amazing.
0: I, I, She actually helped me a bit with this project. I, of course, she I emailed did because she's her the best human. Reached out about sort of finding different information on the Red Panda SSP. Um, and she was super helpful because um, so I was doing a lot of looking at the SSP um, to sort of you know, see what, see what they're saying and see what different red pandas are doing and where they've been sent and everything. Um, but that was really cool. And I used ZIMS, which is one of the, um, do an aquarium databases, um, to sort of draw up family trees for them, found that there are some like individuals early on when they first started sort of doing this captive breeding program. There are some individuals that pop up all over the map and wow, um, they're like the the grandmother and also great grandmother and great great grandmother, just all over. Um, and just to clarify to
1: listeners, that is funny, but it's also what the SSP has worked hard to stop doing. Yes. and I just, I just want to make that clear. I know you know that. I know, I know that. But that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, They're very careful with it. But yeah, early on, I mean, we all know that that the history of zoos is uh, not what it is now.
0: Yeah, and that was sort of actually an amazing thing to see as I was looking at both of them and how inbred they were to see whether this was a concern um and you know at first I was looking at these family trees and going oh my god these are all over the map they're going to be super inbred um but they actually neither of them were really inbred to a point of like causing any concern I mean I did this sort of statistical analysis on it um and neither Faith nor Barry really was at any risk and that's because of the efforts of the people in these ssps because they've really looked super closely at you know this red panda has these issues potentially from inbreeding and so we're not going to breed them anymore um and oh this one shows up all over the map and so we've got plenty of their genetics represented already um And it's really cool because you see this sort of start with a mess. And then as you get down closer to recent years, um, there's really so much less. It's really impressive.
1: That's awesome.
0: So that was one element of my project. And the other element was a fecal hormone assay. Um, And so I was looking at their progesterone and estrogen levels. before during and after mating season um which was a little bit tricky because red panda mating season is tends to be all of 24
1: 48 hours
0: yep um and so i was trying to get sort of baseline levels before that and then try to collect samples all during that and (laughs) try not to miss it and I actually had you know they started mating earlier than they normally did and I was like no um, and so had had a little bit of frantically running around trying to collect the correct poop samples <laughs> um, and they were just lovely though all throughout this project and this part was sort of the fun part, even though it was collecting poop, um, because I got to work with them directly. So the problem with collecting fecal samples is we've got a couple of red pandas in together. At that time, it was Faith and ju who were in together. Um, and you have to be, I was only interested in collecting fecal samples from Faith. Right, right. And so I needed some way to tell them apart. And so I was doing what another student had previously done, which was feeding him dried craisins, which are their favorite treat, um, soaked in food coloring to dye his poop green. Yes.
1: That's amazing. Oh, I love science.
0: It's great. Um, And it was great because you sort of got to know, I mean, for probably a month or so, I was doing this every day um, and usually bringing down craisins. Sometimes I'd bring down apple chunks to see whether he was interested in that. Just whatever I could soaked in food coloring. And he got to know that every day I showed up with treats. Um, And so he would be very excited to see me. I'd, I'd, I'd walk in there and he'd come running over and immediately try to to grab for my my bowl of treats and i have all these great photos of him with his little nose all covered in green food coloring cuz he's just been like trying to shove his face in the in the bowl of treats
1: oh that's amazing so what did your what did your uh, study find
0: um so my study found somewhat inconclusive (laughs) Um, it was so we did the assay at the end of all of that and the i found that faith had the well one of the exciting things was that faith had the rising progesterone levels that indicated that she might be pregnant um, which she ended up being pregnant. Um, and so I was very pleased that I'd been correct. Um, but there was sort of relatively limited, um, data on using these fecal hormone a- assays and hormone assays in general with red pandas. Um, so this all was a little bit experimental. And so I was thrilled to be able to write about this to be sort of like, Hey, this is a potentially good way of Doing a pregnancy test basically on female red pandas um, in a non stressful way. Um, it ended up looking sort of like Barry had normal estrogen levels. Um, and the other fascinating thing with the progesterone was that, you know, there was so little data on this, and not to get too into the chemistry and science side of things but you have to figure out how much to dilute the samples in order to get them to fit onto this curve because there's sort of a curve in terms of where it's going to be accurate and if it's too high or too low you're going to have a hard time reading the value accurately Um, And we had sort of the levels that we expected of progesterone based on sort of similar animals, but red pandas really have no close relatives. So that's not going to happen very well. Um, And their base progesterone levels were just like way higher than we expected. Um, And so that assay ended up being completely sort of a challenge because of that. And I sort of, you know, wrote in my essay about, you know, if you take these findings with a grain of salt, here's what it is. But it was also super interesting as just sort of a, you know, one of those science projects where something goes wrong. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, that's how we learn. Like science isn't always just going to give you what you want and uh yeah, yeah people people not understanding that has kind of caused some problems lately don't know if you've you know Just heard anything about that <clears throat> but yeah <laughs> yeah that's what i yeah. mean a successful science project is not one that is gets you the results that you want it's successful yeah. if it's successful in learning something
0: which is yeah and like it really was one of those things where i was like well you know it looks like hormones being messed up pro- probably isn't A significant cause of berry being potentially infertile but and neither is being inbred Um, so it's something else which is also an answer Um, and even if it's not sort of the direct answer in the way that you might want of sort of being like yes this is the cause um, it is still an answer
1: Absolutely, very cool. Very cool. Um, so then, has uh, has your path continued after after Millbrook? Are you still looking at the the art and animalies type stuff?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm double majoring in art and biology. Um, so then yes, yes, it has exactly that. Um, and really, what I'm interested in with biology is most of all animals and so I'm hoping to go into some field um, that works directly with animals you know sort of one of my potentials I is working in zoos although I'm sort of thinking I want to be in wildlife research I think would be really cool Um, but it's something that's really I mean that research project was a big part of me sort of going you know yeah I think I want to go into scientific research um but art is also something that I really love and really want to keep doing Um, and so I think my sort of direct path out of college is going to be more sort of grad school for science research Um, but I want to definitely continue doing art and that's something that's really important to me as well. Um, and so I've definitely sort of continued on directly from where I was at Millbrook.
1: Serious question. Is it hard not having a zoo?
0: Yes, that was, I, I miss it a lot. Um, that was sort of one of my biggest things going off to college. I miss just sort of daily animals. I mean, I don't have a pet with me at college and I mean, some other people have pets, but I don't get to interact with animals as much. Um, and I was just in the process of starting working, volunteering at a local animal shelter when everything shut down and we got sent home for COVID. Um, but it's, a weird thing you know I went from this being sort of all consuming my life of just every morning and every evening I would be spending you know lots of time I mean well over an hour a day at the zoo to no animals really um and I miss it
1: Yeah, I bet. I, I feel like not only is, is some cool research stuff in your future and the art of course, but maybe volunteering at a zoo or making sure that where you end up you're near a zoo and yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, Very cool.
1: It's amazing that, uh, that you've had that experience already and that, um, yeah, good for you. I'm glad that that has all been so awesome. Um, having animals help shape you in your formative years cannot suck. (laughs) Definitely. Very cool. Well, now it is time. It's time now, don't you know, we've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go, you're gonna laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the safari Poop Story. Hit me.
0: All right. I have lots of potential poop stories. Poop stories. Um... But my science research project is probably one of my biggest poop stories because, of course, I was constantly dealing with poop. Um, I would go out there every day and have a little plastic baggie and scoop a little nugget of what I was hoping, at least, was Faith's poop um, into a little plastic bag. And then we'd freeze them and basically freeze dry them. And so the interesting thing that you have to do for this fecal hormone assay um, is you have to grind it up. And so, you know, those little Parmesan graters that they use at restaurants to grate Parmesan onto your food?
1: Absolutely, I do.
0: Um, So we were taking these little poop samples um, and grinding them up, and I have some really funny photos of just us with like just little you take a little piece of poop and you don't need that much um and you put it in the parmesan grater and you grate it until you get out little shreds of poop and then we'd put them in these little manila basically mini manila envelopes um to freeze again and hopefully get more of the moisture out Um so it it ended up I mean it's a little bit of a tedious process but it's also really funny because I sort of was in the crunch time for this project and just spent several days where my entire afternoon was just you know standing at a table in the zoo grinding poop Nice. (laughs) and people would come by and be like oh what are you doing I'm like grinding poop. Do, do you want to help? We've got an, we've got an extra little cheese grater here.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Um thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. Our first of what will be two episodes at the Trevor Zoo. Now, I'm guessing that that answered a whole lot of questions about the Trevor Zoo for you, but I'm guessing that you'll have a whole lot more. So uh, I'll be back later this week with the rest of my time at the Trevor Zoo. You can find out more about the Millbrook School and the Trevor Zoo there by visiting millbrook.org or checking them out on Facebook and on Instagram at Trevor Zoo Millbrook. And until our bonus episode later this week, remember, the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossifari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley gross Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossifaripod at gmail.com. Rossifari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.